I don't know how you could possibly justify putting Texas ahead of Iowa State. Welcome back to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. I'm joined this evening by Corbin. And a big welcome back to Tyler. He couldn't make it last week. He was at the fried pie eating contest down in Lawton. Tyler, how was it? It was good. A lot of pie, a lot of really good food. Ate way too much. Felt like crap afterwards. And then got caught on uh, in a traffic jam on Highway 9. But uh, no, it's uh, I, I appreciate all the uh, all the reasons, all the excuses that you guys made for me last week. Everything from the, the Joe Exotic uh, rally down at Winnie Wood to the Obama Fashion Show it was fantastic. But... You know, when I really got to thinking about why I missed, I mean, I think just carrying this podcast for the last five months and I think my body just finally gave out on itself. So kind of needed a week off to, to kind of reset and get things back to normal, but uh, excited to be back for sure. Absolutely. And Corbin, the man who makes no excuses, how are we this evening? <laughs> Doing good. Doing good here consistently. No, I think I've, I've missed just as many weeks as Tyler. Unfortunately, I was not at a fried pie eating contest. I would have enjoyed that, I think. Uh, but yeah, good to have the crew back together again. Absolutely. Did you guys know that this is our 33rd episode? So that means Tyler made it through 32 before his back gave out. So uh, we're cruising. <laughs> exactly. We're cruising right along here. So Corbin, kick us off. We had a big weekend in softball. Uh, what's the update here? Was I the only one that was stressed over the weekend? Oh, I was for sure. I've yeah, I watched all three games start to finish, and I don't know, it felt like I was watching OU football uh, in a dogfight <laughs> in the second half. I was that nervous, but no, it was good. Yeah, let's give a, a brief brief rundown for maybe we don't want to relive this actually, but you know, heading into Stillwater, uh, winner of the series not only takes the you know a Bedlam series, which is important, but takes the uh, Big Twelve regular season crown and. Guys, we're up 4-1 in the third in game one. You're thinking, here we go. Like, run rule, let's get this game over with. Uh, the girls in orange said, absolutely not. Um, so, pokes come back and win. All six runs come from home runs, which I don't think is good in any baseball or softball sport. Uh, and then, so, pokes take game one. And, guys, they need one of two to clinch the series and to clinch the regular season conference. I don't think I was overly confident. Uh, I don't know how you guys felt after Friday night, but I was like, we may be in trouble. Yeah, for sure. And just watching the team as we've come down the stretch here, the competition has gotten tougher and tougher. And you're starting to see more and more chinks in the armor uh, of OU, which makes me really nervous as we get into postseason play. We did have a great weekend, though, I mean, or a week as far as uh, you know, winning awards off the field. Patty Gasso winning her, I think, 37th uh, Big 12 Coach of the Year award and then getting five on the uh, first team, all Big 12, including Shannon Sale, who's not our ace technically, but she was still first team pitcher. I don't know who our ace is, to be honest. I mean, I know we end up winning games, you know, two and three to take the series, ninth straight Big 12 championship. Um, but guys, if you're, if you're scoring 11 runs in a game, but you're giving up eight, that, that, that's some pause there for if we're in a tight game against an elite pitcher, you got to worry about if this team can pull it out. 
Well, I mean, for, for me in that series, Nicole May, I mean, she's probably been our, what, third, fourth pitcher on the roster this entire season. So her stepping up, for me, she was the MVP uh, of that series. I know Jada Coleman played extremely well. She was fantastic. But Nicole May, you know, over three games, one win, one save, striking out six, you know, was extremely clutch in all three of her outings over the weekend. I thought she she pitched extremely well. And guys, going into this, uh, going into, you know, not just the Big 12 tournament this weekend, but everything moving forward after – you know, we talked about is there a chink in the armor for this, you know, this softball team, and we were just waiting for the competition to ramp up, get a little bit better and better as the season went on. And obviously, if if I've got one, you know, one concern, it is this pitching staff um, going into the postseason, where you're going to, you know, ultimately maybe see Oklahoma State again, or maybe go up against a UCLA or Arizona. I think that one of the biggest differences between this team compared to some of the previous softball teams is. We don't have uh, Keelani Ricketts. We don't have a Paige Parker on this pitching rotation that you can rely on to go out there and win a game for you. So, I mean, G's been G's been solid all season long. Maybe, you know, you can maybe chalk it up to just maybe a bad outing here or there. But um, pitching's going to have to take a, take a next step up if we're going to win a Women's College World Series. I think you put it best there, Corbin, when you said you're not sure, uh, you're not sure who our ace is. And I think that's a big problem, but – Obviously, a big opportunity this weekend with the Big 12 tournament. Is this kind of a must-win situation for OU to feel good about themselves going into uh, postseason play? I think so. Uh, I mean, we start everything tomorrow against Baylor and Tech. I know Baylor played us decent down in Waco uh, a couple weeks ago, but you should fully expect us to be just fine on Friday. Um, I mean, expect nothing else for than a championship game, a rematch of Bedlam, um, you know, for the Big 12 title, I, I think you do. I don't think you want to go into the the postseason with with another loss, especially when you know. Now, granted, this team is what 42 and two, so I mean, we can't be too crazy. But like, we've lost a couple down the stretch. Um, but yeah, I think you know, winning four or excuse me, three out of four from from Oklahoma State to uh, to wrap up the season should should give everybody great confidence. But yeah, the, the pitching is the question, and it's not a good reason why we don't know who our ace is. It's it's not like we have multiple girls who are just out there crushing it, but I don't think we should get too crazy. The bats have carried this team, and hopefully they continue to do so in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this weekend this weekend it's a must win, but every game with OU softball is is a must win with expectations within this program. I mean, I don't want to get I don't want to, you know, sound, you know, too Debbie Downer about it. I mean, this team's forty two and two for a reason. This is a really good softball team and you know, going on the road and taking two out of three against the top ten, you know, arch rival team in Oklahoma State. Um, let's get back to a neutral site in Oklahoma City and, you know, hopefully win this weekend and um, we'll have home field advantage at the re- throughout the rest of the postseason. For sure. A lot of hand-wringing for a team that's lost two games on the year in softball. Uh, Whereas, you know, going just down the street in Norman to the baseball program. And here's my update for them. Let's be honest. I'm not really paying that close of attention anymore. Another Uh, yawn. Another yawn. And let's, let's be realistic. I mean, the fans that I was complaining about probably a month or two ago, I'm that fan now. I'm pretty much tuned out. I feel a little bit let down. Uh, it's been a rough year for baseball, but we're, we're coming down to it. We've got two more series left uh, to wrap us up for the season, and then we'll forget about it for a few months, come back next year. Uh, so let's move on. I don't want to dwell on baseball. So, Tyler, <laughs> what's the update here with, uh, with golf? Uh, it's postseason time. Uh, OU women's golf team, um, their season unfortunately came to a close on Wednesday. Um, OU finished seventh at the NCAA Columbus Regional. 
um, finishing three shots uh, shy of getting that last spot to advance the NCAA championship. So um, OU women's golf season does come to an end. Now their attention, they are going to be shifting towards the off season. Um, they're going to have six of nine girls back um, going into 2022. Um, obviously losing, you know, guys or girls like Caitlin Milligan, um, Ellen Secor and Hannah Lee, all three of those are set to graduate. And then, on the, switching things over to the men's side, I mean, OU, the men's golf team, um, they were awarded the number one overall seed going into postseason play. They got assigned to go to the uh, NCAA regional up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, that, that's, I believe that gets ramped up next week. That's a three-day three day tournament, 54 holes. Um, and OU's had some tremendous success out on the West Coast playing golf. Um, so it's going to be fun to watch them over the course of those three days. Hopefully they can be one of those top seeds that advance and put themselves in an opportunity to, to compete for another national championship uh, once we get to the very end of the month of May. Let's hope there's not a, a drop of rain on any of the golf courses for the tournament based on, uh, you know, how the NCAA has been acting Joe, recently. So, Joe, do you guys Crazy. see some of the videos that the, uh, I think – I can't remember which coach it was, but they were posting walking in the rough up to the green. Couldn't really even tell that there was a drop of rain on the ground, and then for them to call that—I mean, you just—you feel for the girls. And shout out to Barstool and you know Riggs and the foreplay guys, you know, kind of leading the efforts to hopefully replace that and send those invites out, and you know, give them a chance to come in and compete um, and and play golf to finish the year out strong. But you you hate it for the girls on those teams. If I understand it correctly, it's it's, it's the courses call not the NCAA's call. So yeah. I mean, I don't want to you know rag on the NCAA for for doing that because it's not them, but put your foot down NCAA, make the course play if it's playable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of negative news going on with golf uh, right now with all those cancellations. And so a uh, good thing that it doesn't rain too much in New Mexico. Uh, but speaking of, of negative news, we got some with basketball earlier today, Bryce Thompson going with Oklahoma state. We talked a little bit last week about, Hey, the longer this drags out, the better it looks for OU that turned out to not quite be enough there. And, uh, and Corbin, I mean, where does OU go from here? Not sure. I know a lot of people are looking at, you know, they went 0-3 for all the, um, you know, prospects down the stretch that we were looking at with Bryce Thompson, um, with the Alexander kid from uh, Texas A&M, and then, excuse me, not Texas A&M, from Heritage Hall, um, and then um, who, who's the A&M guy? Jackson Robinson. Uh, Robinson. Jackson Robinson. Thank you very much. And he went to Arkansas. Um, I don't think, I mean, are any of us surprised he didn't come to Oklahoma? I don't think so. I think I would have been more surprised if he did, even though it did take a little bit longer. I think OU gave it the best shot and they got in his ear. Uh, no doubt about that. But yeah, I mean, you're looking for, you're looking for a score. You got to go out and find a, an elite score if there's one out there. Uh, wow. I think this roster is, is very well put together for the most part. I'm not going to be expecting us to blow out many teams next year based on how it looks right now. Um, I don't see the, the offensive firepower. So, yeah, I'd expect a, a lot of close cutthroat games uh, next season based on what the roster is uh, looks like so far. But, guys, a lot of time left for port things to happen in the portal, um, you know, especially for basketball. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, it's got, you got to go find a scorer now. Yeah, I mean, what Porter Moser's done in the transfer portal, you know, they've been on quite a run, you know, over the last two, three weeks, filling the roster up. I think you could even make the argument you guys touched on a little bit last week, you know, even even without Bryce Thompson uh, in, on in the boat, I think you could probably make an argument that uh, – 
the roster going into this year might exceed what we had going into last season, which, I mean, obviously you're, you don't have a, you know, a, a leading score, somebody that can put the ball in the basket like Austin Reeves, but um, losing Bryce Thompson, I, I don't want to say that I got my, you know, got my hopes up for that. I think that with Porter Mosier coming on board, that line of communication reopening up, I think that we kind of had a good shot at it, especially with David Patrick being on board, him being such a good recruiter, him having a previous relationship with Bryce, but I mean, can't fault the kid. He's going to Oklahoma State. They're about to have the number one pick in the draft. So can kind of see his, you know, his reasoning behind it. But um, like I said, there's there's players entering the portal left and right as as we move further into the summer. So just have to go find a guard because Corbin, you hit the nail on the head. This is a very defensive driven team right now, uh, the way that this roster is made up. So got to go find a score. It's got to be frustrating. And I, it definitely is for me that we have three guys from the state of Oklahoma and we're going over three on them. And they're very talented guys. They're going to, you know, big programs, Arkansas, Oklahoma State. Um, Alexander's still way up in the air, but he was slated to go to Auburn. And, you know, I look at OU basketball the same way that I look at TCU football. And Gary Patterson takes in some guys that maybe are a little bit more risky, like a Zach Evans with, you know, some character uh, challenges there. But, um, you know, I, I just – I, am I justified in wanting OU to roll out the red carpet for a guy like a Trey Alexander that maybe has a little bit of a prima donna in him, or maybe even a Bryce Thompson to some degree uh, in the same area there? Like, am I justified in being frustrated that we're not taking on some of those guys and taking some risks because OU basketball is not as the same level as a Kansas? I just wanted to clarify are you turning into the white RJ young and we should just take Oklahoma guys no matter what. I just want to make sure. No, 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 because, because these guys are highly talented. They're right here in state. Uh, yeah. and, and we're, we're not looking that seriously at two of them and we struck out on the third. Yeah. I don't know if you can look at it as a, a you struck out on all three. I think, yeah, you, you tried to pick your guy of the bunch you wanted most by the time he made his decision, the others were gone. I, it's, it's hard to kind of, kind of put that blame on him. But again, I mentioned on last week's pod, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to go into next year with an extra scholarship, um, especially with the craziness right now, people changing schools and um, all that. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. So would lo- like I said, would love to go out and get a score. I, I'm not a huge roll out the red carpet guy. I, I watched Trey Alexander in, in high school. I thought he was really good, but does he fit what Porter's trying to do? I'm not sure that's the case. Um, and so I think sometimes you gotta you gotta pick the right guy over, you know, a really talented one for the sake, especially with with Porter being so, you know, first year in Norman, you set the foundation for what you want as a program. Now, don't just take a guy to take a guy um, that the mayor may not be talented. Yeah, and we did pick up a, a big commit uh, the other day. I still I'm gonna say it. I don't know how to say his name yet. Uh, Akel Mayween. Uh, he's a six nine big man from the junior college ranks. There's always going to be some risk with uh, with the junior college ranks. You know, we've seen guys like Taj Gray back in the day come in and, and absolutely kill it. And then we've seen guys like DJ Bennett, who didn't do a whole lot and won't be remembered much at all. Uh, so we did get something to go off there. Hey, DJ was the voiceover for an intro video. So give him a little bit of credit uh, for creating a rap for an intro video. And put some damn respect on Hannes Polos' name. <laughs> for what he did during his time here at OU. But, no, I, I, I like this pickup. I mean, obviously, this is where uh, this is kind of where having David Patrick on staff, that's where that relationship kind of came in handy. OU was able to cash in, um, for lack of a better term, and get him on 
get him on campus. But no, you, normally when you look at six nine, six ten guys that have been at OU in the past, like you said, Adam, typically not you, you can't really expect too much. You know, half of them seem like they're you know not you know developed physically. You know, maybe a little bit of uncoordination. But looking at this guy, just watching his tape, I mean, I think that this is a guy that could play. You know, the three, four, or five position. Extremely athletic, gets out in space, runs the floor really well. Um, hopefully, he can use this offseason to develop the jump shot a little bit more. But no, I think that this is a fantastic pickup that, you know, I didn't I didn't really see this coming at this point. But I think that Porter Mosier, you know, the, uh, he had two scholarships to offer and filling one with this guy. Um, definitely like the, the outlook of this team going into next year. If he's good enough to play for Arkansas, an Elite Eight team last year, he's good enough to play at Oklahoma. So I don't know a ton about him, but I can live with those pickups any day of the week. Yeah. Well, I've said it on multiple podcasts uh, from weeks previous, but I think it just shows a lot about what Porter Moser's done in a short time here that we're talking basketball. And we've been talking basketball for probably a month straight, if not longer, in the the dead of the offseason, really. Um, So just credit to him. There's a lot of energy there. Uh, can't wait to see that team take the court uh, coming up here in, in what less than six months. So uh, that's exciting. But something that's coming up a little bit earlier that's still top of mind for all of us is football season. It's on our minds year round. It never leaves. And we got some pretty exciting news over the last couple of weeks with uh, some guys doing some post spring top 25 rankings. Uh, most notably, Stuart Mandel had OU ranked third. Uh, Mark Schlebach had OU ranked first. Uh, so, Tyler, how much stock are you putting into these rankings at this point? We 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 listened to Lincoln Riley talk about this a week or so ago, him basically, you know, discarding all preseason rankings, which to an extent I, I, I can kind of see that. I mean, this is all based entirely off what you did last season and what the writers, you know, think that you have coming back and how good you could be going into 2021. But I mean, for me, I think that you can use oh, you can use this, you know, one of two ways. You can either, you know, buy into being, you know, awarded the number one preseason ranking, pat yourself on the back because the outside world is you know, claiming you to be the best going into 2021, you're the favorite to win the national championship, and you get complacent. You rely on what everybody else is thinking. You're confident in what you've done up to this point, and you think that that's going to be good enough. But I think that uh, OU, and, you know, especially it starts with Benny Wiley in the summer camp uh, going through the offseason program, you can use this as motivation to take this summer uh, and fall camp seriously to, you know, get 1% better every day, as cliche as it sounds, so that once the Tulane game rolls around here in 114 days, you're ready to go. You've put in the work and you put yourself in a position not just to compete and win a you know seventh straight Big 12 championship, but this is the year that we've all pinpointed as this this should be OU's best shot at getting over the hump, winning a college football playoff game, and competing for a national championship. Yeah, I don't think you can put a whole lot into it. I mean, it's great. Create some buzz, create some clicks for the guys writing the articles. But uh, if this team is going to be motivated or um, – you know, ex- totally accepting of, of an article written in May. Uh, we've got bigger issues on our hands. So this isn't new for a place like Oklahoma. Go work your ass off in the offseason like you were ranked first or not ranked at all and, you know, keep going from there. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, I, I think this is a good thing and probably more for external non-team reasons. This is a great way to market your program for recruiting, to drive, you know, fan excitement, to sell some tickets, um, and just have, you know, some talking points for the fans to look forward to as we go into the season. So I think it's certainly a good thing. Now, I'd say there's probably a segment of the fan base, and especially once we get into the season, 
for some reason that never wants to be ranked number one. They always want to be the underdog. They don't want to have some target on their back. Do either of you guys fall in line with that? I mean, I, I, I kind of am, but at the same time too, this is Oklahoma. I mean, we're, we're a top five, top 10 team every single year, every single time that we take the stadium or take the field, you know, we're, we're going to be the favorite. Everybody's going to give us their best shot. So whether you're ranked number one, number five, sure. It, you know, it's kind of magnified a little bit more when you are at the top of that, of the poll, uh, but you're going to get everybody's best shot no matter what. So, uh, but no, I, I didn't even think about that angle that you just mentioned, Adam, the fact that this is, you know, a really good toy for uh, Annie Hanson and Lincoln Riley to be able to, you know, market the program, you know, the expectations going into this year. Um, like I said, it, it definitely is fun to see that, you know, not just OU fans, us with the crimson color glasses that, you know, have the expectations for this team, but it sounds like a lot of national guys do too. So that's got to be exciting for the fan base as well. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. I'll leave it right there. Yeah. And, and I agree with what you're saying, Tyler, because early on I noticed there was still the perception that, oh, well, OU's defense, you know, if they can still come along nicely, you know, then they'll have a chance to win a playoff game, you know, back in January. Whereas I think most OU fans who had been watching the defense throughout the end of 2020 were thinking, this is the strength of the team, potentially, in a lot of ways. This isn't a situation where we're like, hey, just do enough so that the offense can, you know, get us there. This is the defense and the offense are going to work hand in hand this year uh, if things go as planned. So I am seeing that the national writers are starting to notice that too. So how did you guys feel about just kind of, you know, looking over some of the other teams in the top 25, how'd you guys feel about Iowa state being all the way ranked at uh, all the way up at number six? There was a lot of teams, not just Iowa state, but your Texas A&M, UNC, Indiana, a lot of unusual suspects right there in that range of like six to 12. Yeah, that, that may be better for the conference than OU being ranked one is having an Iowa State, a non-Texas that high in the rankings. Now, unfortunately, between six and 22, no more Big 12 teams. Uh, so it would have been nice to see, you know, a little bigger of a presence. But um I think that is a fair estimate to where the Big 12 is as a conference um, for the time being. I really can't, you know, if, if I was going to make any changes to the top 10, I'd probably have Alabama number one. They're the champs for a reason. I know that they did lose a lot of talent. Um, anybody watching the NFL draft last week, you can definitely see that. But they still have Nick Saban on the sideline um, coaching things up. So, but but no, I think you guys, you know, that's hit, hit it perfectly. The fact that Iowa State is in the top 10, you know, hopefully that's going to be the case as the season moves along. Um, we'll see if they can take care of business against Iowa, a team they haven't been able to beat in many, many years. I think that that's going to go a long way in, you know, the national perception of the Big 12 Conference as a whole as the season moves um, later into towards wintertime. I'm a little skeptical on Iowa State. You know, I, I like that they have so many guys returning. Uh, you know, love Matt Campbell. I'm just Same. not sold on Brock Purdy. I think he's solid. But the fact that he's the second best quarterback in the Big 12 going into the season, I mean, that just shows that the bar has been lowered quite a bit in the Big 12 over the past couple of years because he has some good games. He has some mediocre games. And I just I just wonder if they'll be able to hold up through a 12 game season playing a tougher schedule than they did last year. Even if Brock doesn't take another step forward. He's still the second best quarterback in the Big 12, and the team around him having 20 of 22 starters from last year's team coming back, 
um, especially on the defensive side of the football where they're only losing Jaqu- Jaquan Bailey. When you look at the fact that the, they've got, other than Oklahoma, the other three toughest games on their schedule, Iowa's at home. Texas is at home. Oklahoma State is in Ames as well. Um, the schedule sets up really nicely for Iowa State. And, I mean, we'll see if they can if they can uh, go back-to-back uh, as far as finding success or we'll see if that was just a one-hit wonder. Uh, but, no, I think Matt Campbell and that team uh, expect big things from Ames this year. Yeah, but they also lost to, what, Arkansas State at home? Or was it Louisiana who they I lost was Louis- to? Louisiana. It was Louisiana. So, I mean – yeah, great. It's at home, but <laughs> based on what just happened last year, I don't know if that's a benefit. Um, you True. know, so uh, we'll see. But, but yeah, I think you're spot on. But if, if this Iowa State team is as good as we think they are, they should not only beat Iowa, but they should handle Iowa. Like it shouldn't be an overly competitive game. But that has been their thing since they've become relevant is either losing to Iowa or losing to a strange non-conference team. And so I think we'll find out real quick about is this Iowa State team real or not? Because the past few years, they've dropped when they shouldn't have or they got you know slapped around by the Hawkeyes. It would really buck the trend of the second-place Big 12 team because over the years, I guess OU was second in some of these Big 12 championship games, but we played TCU in 17. They were not considered you know the second team going into that year. Texas in 18, a lot of hype there, but not necessarily the second-best team in most people's minds. Baylor in 19 and then Iowa State in 20. So I feel like there's probably going to be the field to me if I had to, to make a bet on that as of right now. Of, hey, someone random's going to pop up and be the second best team. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you think Iowa State, you, you would take the field? Like outside of OU, I, I mean, I'm guessing you're saying that you've got OU penciled in for one of those two spots. You take the field instead of Iowa State to be the other representative in Arlington? Yeah, I mean, I, I still like Iowa State a lot, um, but they, they still lost three games last year. And so, um, you know, they, they still have Iowa State level of talent there. Matt Campbell's brought it up quite a bit, but they're not significantly better talent-wise than TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, even a Kansas State in some ways, maybe even a West Virginia. Like there's the middle of the Big 12 is just so cluttered and close that it takes, you know, one team to have that solid – you know, playmaker yeah. to make a difference. I don't know. I mean, from a talent perspective, OU and Texas have the best rosters in the conference, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. But looking at what Iowa State just has coming back, the coaching, I know, I feel like I know what I what I have in Iowa State just based off what we've seen from them in the years past. I mean, if you look at other teams, Texas, OSU, TCU, I mean, can, you, can we confidently sit here and say that those three teams, you know, gain ground? Um, th- this offseason going into 2021 on Iowa State? Because for me right now, I still think that it's OU1, TCU2, and I think there's a pretty pretty sizable drop-off going from two to three. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that as of th- the way things stand right now. Yep. Yep, I'd agree as well. But, I mean, Tyler, you know, the, the proven commodity has not always been your, uh, you know, go-to argument. So just want to want to hold off there for a little bit. So... So good to be back. Yep. So good <laughs> yep. to be back. Well, it's not about where you start in the rankings. It's about where you finish uh, because that's going to determine who makes the playoff. And that's really been the talk of the town the last three weeks or so since it was announced that a couple of different playoff models are being considered, not for this offseason or for this postseason, but uh, maybe as early as the 2022 season, which would be next year. 
And uh, they announced that they're looking at an eight-team format, a 12-team format, and a 16-team format. I think a lot of fans, in their minds, were just like, hey, eight is the next tier up. That'll be the make the most sense. But, I mean, Corbin, what do you what do you make of the different models and which, if any, do you have a preference for? I'd have the preference leaning towards the six or the eight. Six, you get the top two seeds to buy eight, but I would only go eight if the, the top four teams have the home field advantage. I think that'd be freaking fun. Um, so yeah, those would be the two I'd stick to. I think 12 is too many. I definitely think 16 is too many. Um, but yeah, that six to eight range is really where I think um, there's still enough value. You're adding more teams in. So hopefully you get some less opt-outs, um, you know, from the top tier programs in a playoff format. Um, but I, I wouldn't go any higher than eight. I think it just, it gets almost too cluttered there. I think really outside of, uh, you know, the top five or six programs in America, the rest of college football is the one that's pushing for this. The fact that I think people are sick of the fact that you've got Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, OU, and Georgia every other year. Those are your top four teams every single season. Those are the only ones that are really given a chance to compete for a national championship. But, no, I think I think eight's the sweet spot. If I was going to do it, um, I would take all five Power Five conference champions. I think if you win your conference, you should have a chance to at least go and compete for it. Take the two other highest seeds uh, in terms of the playoff rankings. Most likely that's going to be – for sure, you know, one, maybe two more SEC schools. And then we hear about it every single year, UCF, Cincinnati, whoever's the highest rated group of five team, let them have a crack at it as well. But, you know, j- just thinking about some of the possibilities, you know, looking looking over last year, uh, last year's playoff rankings going into the postseason, I mean, Alabama won. If you did an 18 playoff, you'd ha- have them being able to host Cincinnati, Clemson being able to host Florida, Ohio State. Can you imagine a playoff uh, quarterfinal? where OU's traveling to Columbus to take on Ohio State, the buzz around that, uh, and then obviously Notre Dame and Texas A&M. There's always so much you know, d- debate going back and forth, who's four, who's five. Expand it to eight and let these teams have a chance. And just the impact that this is going to have on, on college football as a whole, I mean, the fact that you could have home games, that's good for you know the fan bases, that's good for the local you know communities. Imagine Campus Corner. I'm pretty sure they would appreciate having another home game uh, in a college football playoff scenario. Um, but then guys, I think that there's also some things that go along with it as well. The fact that by expanding it to eight teams, I think that that's going to better the brand of football that you get in the postseason. That's going to reduce the amount of opt-outs. You won't have, you know, three or four of Florida's best players last year opting out prior to the Cotton Bowl. So you're going to get the best brand of football on the field come playoff time. Um, but guys, and Adam, I kind of want to kick this over to you if it, and just to kind of piggyback on your thoughts on it. But if you go to an eight team playoff, do you shorten the regular season, the fact that you're going to be adding on two more games to it? Or what kind of changes do you have to make uh, that's not just going to completely water down the, the regular season? I think some have suggested a model, which we kind of saw during the COVID year last year, was basically take what is normally the conference championship week, expand that to all the teams so that everybody gets a conference matchup on that final week. And then remove, I think some people are saying remove a non-conference game. I'm not the biggest fan of that. I'd rather teams have the ability to have a a home game that they can make a lot of money on that's guaranteed uh, and and instead remove a conference game uh, because I think the fewer conference games you have, obviously the fewer losses you have around the conference and therefore the higher, you know, all boats can rise because of that. 
imagine if TCU and Iowa State and West Virginia all had an extra win, you know, the last couple of years because they were playing fewer conference games. I think that makes a difference in the overall perception and standings, rankings, uh, and so on. So I think that's probably the route I would lean. I, I thought I was going to lean the same way, but my gut says if you expand the playoff, teams are probably going to start scheduling even lesser competition for the non-conference games. Um, I don't think the – if you're still going to go with the, the top five uh, Power Five champions in the at-large in a, in a case like last year where maybe OU loses um, you know, in the, in the conference title game to Iowa State – I think ha- regardless of who the wins are, having the wins in the in the column with a weaker non-conference schedule is probably more ideal. Now, if you can go and beat you know another top-tier program, great. But if you lose to them, that could be the end of it. So I, I would imagine things probably start to weaken out in the non-conference schedule. So I'm not totally against uh, losing uh, you know one of those those early games you know just because it may be a, a weaker opponent as things continue to go down. But I, I can see both sides. I don't know if you should necessarily take away a, another, a non-conference game, but expanding it to eight teams, that definitely, I, th- I think, will re- result in like these athletic directors. I think that'll discourage them from wanting to schedule. Like, what, why, why would Oklahoma want to go play Ohio State, or why would they want to go play Notre Dame when you're telling me that all I have to do is win the conference, then I'm automatically guaranteed a bid? Why would I risk, you know, injury another game against an elite team or, or something like that? Now, do I think that that would actually happen? I think Joe C will continue to schedule these tough, you know, out-of-conference games because, I mean, one, that's how you sell tickets. you got to keep your fan base excited, especially in the Big 12 Conference. But I think that there's – I think that you could be onto something there. Well, I actually think completely the opposite because the current model incentivizes basically going undefeated or having one loss, which is why Baylor – schedules three cupcakes every single year. Now, if you win your conference, then that gives OU the license to go take on Ohio State, Alabama, and USC every year, and it doesn't matter because they'll just turn around and win the Big 12. That gives them incredible experience at the front half of the year. So I think some people could look at that totally differently. I mean, the common trend, guys, is just win, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that, if you go play in Ohio State and you lose in Columbus, but you still win the Big 12 title, no harm, no foul, right? You're in. If you lose both because you scheduled a tough non-conference opponent, that hurts when it comes to those two at-large spots. We no longer have, you know, the four best teams. Now you're only down to two spots if you're not a conference title winner, which I think changes the conversation. But then it also works on the other side, the fact that if you do go on the road and beat Ohio State in, in the non-conference schedule, if you do what OU's grown, what we've grown accustomed to them doing, if you lose to a Kansas State or lose to a Baylor, mm-hmm. the fact that you have you can, you can go back and hang your hat on the fact that you've got that uh, non-conference win against a powerhouse like Ohio State, I mean, that's that's essentially it wipes the slate clean with losing that that conference game. A big concern, too, with expanding the playoffs is just watering down what the regular season means. And college football does have the best regular season in all of sports. Um, and I just think back to uh, maybe even before the playoffs. So it's not a, 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 you know, a great example, but think about Iowa State being, beating Oklahoma State in 2011 or Pittsburgh upsetting West Virginia back in 2007. There's a number of different upsets that we can go back to and look at and go, man, if that team hadn't got upset, they would be playing for a national championship game. And I think expanding the playoff to eight or 12 really does water down some of the regular season a little bit. I mean, you can still be going for that conference championship game, but 
think back to, you know, last year, for example, we lose two games right off the bat, but it doesn't change playoff expectations at that point. You can still make it in. So I don't know if I love that. Let me, let me ask you guys this because, I, one, I think that this would probably pertain just to the SEC because of the fact that they've got two separate divisions and they usually have you know some of the more higher-ranked teams, you know, especially in the top ten. But if you look at a program like Georgia, the fact that you know if you lose one regular season game, you go to the SEC championship, you play Alabama, is it really fair to Alabama if Bama wins – beats Georgia, but the committee still thinks so highly of Georgia because they play in the SEC. They've only got, you know, two losses. One of them was the number one team in the country. Is it fair to programs like Alabama that Georgia would still get another crack at it and Alabama would still have to beat them another time to ultimately win a national championship? I mean, not necessarily. I mean, with eight teams, I think the committee would probably do a decent job of aligning that appropriately. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe it's something where if you go to this format, it sounds weird, but maybe you get rid of at least posting, especially especially if you, well, I don't know if I agree with what I'm saying now, but I don't think that would be as big of a deal. Because um, I think you just put George on the other side of the bracket. Yeah, I agree. I think there needs to be some parameters and rules to help avoid a second or a third matchup until at least the championship game. And, uh, you know, Stuart Mandel actually brought up a good point. And I think my favorite of the formats would be a 12 team at this point over an eight team playoff, simply because with a 12 team format, you're going to have some people that are getting buys in the first round. You're going to have some teams that are going to be playing for home field advantage, and you're going to have some teams just playing to get in once we get down to the end of the regular season. So it does provide some really interesting context there. Uh, as we wind down the regular season and reasons for teams to continue winning and, and just people to be engaged at that point. I, I understand that, but also at the same time too, I mean, if we're being real about it, I think starting the year, there's probably what five to six teams that have a realistic chance to win the whole thing. So do you want to, I mean, okay, three, four, five. So, I mean, is it, is it really worth, do you see value in the fact that you could potentially let a team like Iowa or let a team like Wisconsin or somebody that's, you know, maybe lost two or three games, let them go into it where they're ultimately just going to get demolished by a Clemson or an Alabama? Well, you make a great argument for not expanding the playoffs there, which would probably be my well, ultimate I, I, preference at this point, because let's be real, like Cincinnati, UCF, if we're letting them in, they're getting demolished too, and everybody thinks the group of five needs to be a part of it. I don't know if everybody thinks that, um, but I think there's an argument to be had. I, my, my worry about going past eight is that at what point does the college football playoff eliminate the postseason for everybody else? Because we're already seeing it at four teams that any – any guy in a, in a big program that has a legit shot of being a first or second rounder, you're starting to see more and more people opting out of that bowl game. You do that too much, the ratings go down. People may not want to travel to the game as much because the top players aren't playing. You just wonder at what point, if you hit a 10, 12, 16, does the rest of the postseason just disappear? Maybe not for the smaller schools who still you know want to go play that additional game and it still provides value to the university, but you got to think like for a – a Florida, an Oklahoma, uh, a USC, like the, the big name programs, if they're not in the playoff, what's the point of playing? 
And I think there still is a point right now, but we're starting to already see that. So, you know, players opting out. So if you go too far, and I think 12 is too far in my opinion, I think you start running the risk of New Year's Six games are done. There's no more of those. So I think it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's risky. Does the revenue of adding to the current playoff outweigh losing all of the revenue you could potentially, you know, lose if, if these teams stop playing in these postseason games? Yeah, I mean, the opt-outs are, are frustrating. Adding four more games, only, uh, I guess, four more teams in that scenario in an eight-team playoff, that's only four teams that are no longer having opt-outs. That's a very small percentage of teams that you're adding into that mix. You've still got 50 other teams in regular bowl games that are still going to have guys opt-out. Teams that are normally playing in the Sun Bowl, normally playing in the Liberty Bowl, that you know it's not a disappointment to those programs to go there they've always gone to that level of bowl games and they're still getting guys to opt out so i don't know that necessarily solves that challenge of opt-outs and i don't think that an 18 playoff solves the challenge of the same old teams winning the thing anyway then you've got probably the same eight teams every year getting in and now penn state's getting in every year and they still can't win it because clemson's winning every year and bama's winning every other year Corbin, how would you structure the six-team playoff from the standpoint of like where games are played? Great question. Because uh, in, in that scenario, the one and two seeds would have to buy. Um, You'd have to do neutral sites for the three versus six and four versus five because you, really, you can't really do uh, home game type scenarios for the three and four seed because then you're penalizing seeds one and two. I mean, in a, in a perfect scenario, well, I mean, you'd have to have those, those stadiums selected beforehand. You can't, you can't wait um, because they'd, they'd be different. They'd be different on the weeks, but you would just run the, the, the six New Year's six bowls and you just rotate them. I mean, and that would be the end of the, the separate New Year, New Year's six quote unquote bowls from it all. Cause then they would just, they would just all host playoff games. Right? Or am I a game short? One, two, three, four. Well you'd have you'd have oh, two one short? You'd have you'd have five total games. You'd have the two quarterfinals, two semifinals, and the national championship. Yeah, I mean they just have to rotate where one one of those wouldn't get it every year. Right. I, like I don't know what I don't know what would happen with that bowl game because it seems pointless to have another game in the spot, but I don't know. It's like the best consolation bowl game, I guess, at that point. But I like that and I think giving buys for the one and two is is a decent idea. It still makes, you know, top six still feels pretty high level. You know, you're getting, uh, you're really rewarding the teams that are doing very well in the regular season and you're rewarding the best of the best still with the buys. So um, I really like that. I mean, it's, it's, he- it's heading that direction. I mean, we're, we're heading for expansion. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, well, uh, let's uh, let's finish up here for the evening with uh, some odds that came out from Vegas uh, for the Big 12 title. I know this really caught your eye, Tyler, because Texas was set, listed second here in the odds. Uh, and tell us why that is absolutely incorrect. I just don't know what, which I mean, you know, bet online AG. I mean, Vegas put this out. This is the first thing that we saw. I just don't know, and again, talking in circles, you know, Vegas rarely are they wrong, but I don't know how 
based off of what we saw last year, the turnover with the Texas coaching staff, losing Sam Ellinger, losing the best player at all three you know levels of that defense, I don't know how you could possibly justify putting Texas ahead of Iowa State in this in this particular scenario. Now, I don't know whether or not that's Vegas simply just wanting to try to make some money, have a lot of money come in on Texas at those odds. Uh, but if you're just strictly looking at the uh, football standpoint, looking at the roster, looking at the production coming back, um, nobody in their right mind is going to have Texas listed ahead of Iowa State. It's bizarre, but, I mean, the talent at Texas has never been the problem. I mean, so – it's a more talented roster than what Iowa State has on paper. It is. I mean, that's just kind of the name of the game. But especially with that game being in Ames, um, I just don't see it. Uh, but Vegas knows, and they it must is something we don't. They must have a ton of confidence in whoever that Texas quarterback is going to be. <laughs> I know someone who, who thinks the same way. Uh, they've actually also seemed to have written a strongly worded letter to Vegas about these odds that uh, are so incorrect. Um, I see this more as clickbait, uh, really just a, an opportunity for people to write about it, tweet about it. Here's the odds that come out. They're going to get more bets now. And I think they look at Texas and go, yeah, that's free money. People are just going to dump that uh, you know, into our bank accounts. And we're never going to have to pay that out because Texas probably isn't going to win the Big 12. I'll be curious to see if the odds change whatsoever come July, because that's one of the things that when um, for my Vegas trip, I'm, I'm excited to go out to a sports book and, you know, depending on what the odds are, put some money on OU for the Big 12 and the national championship, see if I can get some uh, return on that. But uh, guys looking, you know, going from top to bottom, I guess you can even just go one through nine, Kansas being 150 to one. There's not a number that you could possibly put down there that will get somebody to take a fire on Kansas. Is, is there kind of a sleeper team maybe down in that four through nine range that you could see um, being of you know tremendous value to maybe take a flyer on to be a dark horse to win the conference? For me, it's got to be West Virginia. They've got uh, – You're high more. on West Virginia. I am a little bit. I know they've lost some guys to, to transfer. Um, I'm not huge on Jarrett Dagey. I just don't think he has enough arm talent to really take over a game, but I think he can do just enough and he's experienced enough um, that he can, you know, maybe have a, a solid year and, and do something respectable, maybe a la Charlie Brewer in 2019. And I, I see this being, you know, the third year of, of Neil Brown in Morgantown that this could be the year that things kind of come together. And maybe it's just a little bit of curiosity and mystery there because we didn't get to play them uh, this past season because of COVID. So I'm intrigued. TCU was the first one that stuck out to me. Um, but I actually would probably lean more towards Baylor. I don't think they were as bad as their record showed last year. I mean, up until the Oklahoma State game, they lost. I think all of their games besides one was within a score. So they weren't as bad as the record showed. Um, I think losing Charlie Brewer hurts, but I wasn't a huge Charlie Brewer fan, so I think you have the potential there to replace him um, with with better talent. And, you know, you would think that year two under Dave Aranda would be an improvement over year one. So that was one that kind of snuck out where if I was going to go really under the radar, um, you may be looking at the, the Baylor Bears there. I just kind of, you know, pumped up Charlie Brewer uh, for what he did in 2019, but at the same time, he just kind of was what he was. So yeah. I don't know if Baylor has much talent 
that's going to step in at quarterback. But sure. I do wonder if that's a situation where now that he's gone, someone else can come in and really flourish and unlock a lot of potential on that team. He ended up at Utah, or am I yes. imagining that? Yep. Yeah. Utah's going to be interesting next year. That's a topic for another day. 11 yeah. for 11 in the spring game. Yeah. Well, he had TJ Pledger to throw to, so makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, watch out for Utah. That might be a uh, a sneaky good team coming out of the Pac-12 this year. That'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, TCU is kind of an obvious one, but I'm going to have to see it to believe it. I don't really trust Gary Patterson. Um, honestly, you guys are going to roll your li- you're going to roll your eyes at me, but if I'm going to put ten, fifteen dollars on something. I don't necessarily trust them to win it, but maybe a sleeper team to get there. Um, I'm going to Manhattan, K-State. Yeah, I mean, they have the third best quarterback in, in the league coming back, so it makes a lot of sense. They, that seems insane to me. I'm, I'm stunned that Baylor wouldn't have better odds than Kansas State, to be honest. I'm stunned that West Virginia is as high as they are. Yeah. Vegas yeah. knows. Vegas knows. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, to to me, it's you know, it's it's OU and, and Iowa State, and we'll see if somebody else can can sneak in there. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the final point here, Tyler. You've got a surprise topic for us, which <laughs> yeah. I believe is just a Spencer Sanders hate segment. No, I was actually um, driving home. I was lucky to make it home, but ran out of gas. Um, Highway nine, I'd, man. I didn't know if I'd be able to get some gas. Um, but no, uh, there was one thing that I was listening to um, that Teddy Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas were talking about on their radio show. They were looking at the um, the ESPN, the uh, FPI, the Football Power Index, going into 2021, and they were looking at some different percentages. Now, guys, don't Google that because I got kind of a question here for you. Let's you look at this. They split this up into four separate scenarios. Oh, you to win the Big 12 championship, make it to the college football playoff, win a playoff game, and win a national championship. So... <sighs> Guys, give me starting with win the Big Twelve. What do you guys have the percentage that the ESPN has it set at? Because a couple say, of these, a couple of these, I had to go back and look because I was like, "There's no way it could possibly be that number." Are you outraged or? N- no, not outraged. Honestly, kind of, kind of shocked that they're giving OU as much credit as they are. Oh, well, I would have said like forty-five. Um, just knowing that there's a field, um, anything can happen. I would have said forty-five. I'd probably say like 63. 61.7. Let's go. What they believe OU to win the Big 12. Okay, so Corbin won 1-0 on that one. Okay, OU to make the college football playoff, be one of the top four seeds. I guess it's got to be lower than 63, right? So give me a, give me a 41 there. Go a little bit lower and say uh... – Maybe like 37. ESPN's FPI index has OU with a 73.2% chance to make the college football playoff this year. Whoa. That was the one that I kind of maybe go back to, to ESPN.com. I was like, because there's, there's no way. Surely they got to have those numbers wrong. But nope, 73.2%. Not just making the college football playoff, but OU finally getting over the hump and winning a playoff game. What percentage chance does ESPN give OU right now? Starting with Corbin on this one. I'll stick with my last picks. I didn't. I thought that was actually pretty high. Thirty-seven percent. I'm just gonna do the same thing. I'll go thirty. Forty-six. How do they calculate this? I have absolutely no idea. There's some model or some algorithm that's given them all this information for for these percentages. And we'll finish this one out. Then we can talk about it. 
percentage chance ESPN gives OU not just to win the Big 12, make the playoff, win a semifinal, but to win the national championship, something this team has not done, this program has not done since 2000. I guess I'll keep it higher than I would think with, with how this is trending, but 24%? 99%. (laughs) ESPN's college football power index gives OU the second best odds to win the national championship at 25.7%. I take great pride in winning this. I just, I I don't know if, I don't know if I should be shocked by that. The fact that ESPN thinks so highly of OU or how they're even coming up with that, but I mean, other than other than Alabama, they, they think that OU, by a wide margin, has the best chance to win a national championship this year. I mean, this is awesome, but isn't the FPI also the one that had Mississippi State ranked ninth? I've been listening to too much Brandon Walker. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they had them, them ranked there, and they, it was also a big deal because Iowa State was ranked like fourth or something. Well, and this is even in a crazier thing, looking at the numbers here. Uh, they have Iowa State with a 9.4% chance to win the national championship. Ohio State is at 7.9. I don't know yeah. if that's, they think that Iowa State has an easier path to get there or what they're expecting out of Ohio, out of Ohio State this year. But um, when Teddy and Tyler were reading those numbers off, I was like, "There's, I mean, that just, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, I think it goes to show that this Oklahoma team is coming back this year with very – very little question marks. Obviously, offensive line. There's some depth uh, problems uh, along other positions on offense. But you look at Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. There's some new quarterbacks going in there. Georgia is kind of okay right now. But I think there's a lot of knowns at Oklahoma and a lot of reason for OU fans to be excited. Yeah, let's take you know the top 11 teams that right now in the FPI and eight through 11 is Mississippi state, Oklahoma state, Penn state, and Texas. So I think, you know, this deserves a, a pretty solid grain of salt uh, in what they're reporting. If those are the eight through 11 teams. Yeah. I'm just, like I said, I just threw that out there. Cause I mean, during the football season, I mean, that this is kind of one of the things that, you know, Herb street and Pollock and the bear kind of something that they live and, you know, live and die on is this FPI index. But no, I just thought that that was kind of something that kind of caught my eye. The fact that, you know, Going into this year, they've got the second most confidence in Oklahoma to win, and uh, Alabama thirty point eight percent chance, OU twenty five point seven. So, um, give me OU Alabama in the national championship. That'd be that'd be a fun matchup. I love it. Let's make it happen. Well, I think that's probably a great place to wrap things up for the evening. If you've made it this far, drop us a five star like on Apple Podcasts and find us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod One, and we will see. All next week.